Well, grab your Bible and again, start making your way to the little book of Philemon, a little letter to this man at the church of Colossae. While you turn there, I'll just remind us about how the Bible teaches us many things. God gave us his word so that we could know him and we could know what he is like. God gave us his word so that we could know the truth about not only who he is, but the truth about ourselves, who we are and what we're like as well. So thankful to have the Bible so that we could know those truths. And God wanted us largely to know that he is holy And he wanted us to know that we are sinful. And that sin immediately creates a problem. There is a a, a separation in our relationship with God because of our sin. God wanted us to know that, that that our relationship is broken by our sinful nature. And that sin has to be dealt with. It has to be paid for in order for our relationship with God to be what it's supposed to be, in order for that relationship to be fixed. And God's word tells us that only God could actually do that for us. We can't do enough good things on our own. We can't pay enough money to to earn that, to buy that with God. There's nothing that we can do to have that relationship fixed. But God says, I'll take care of it. I, I love you enough to send my son to die for you and to pay for that sin. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you and I can be forgiven. We can be restored to a right relationship with God. We can be redeemed. It's just such the good news of the gospel that we can be made right with God. We can be forgiven. We can be welcomed back into God's family. And the gospel teaches us that Jesus died for our sin and that he rose from the grave. We just sang about it. He rose and he ascended back to his father to be with his father in in glory. And the Bible also teaches us that, that he's coming back one day to take those who belong to him, to be with him, forever and ever in a place that is perfect, a place that sin no longer can ruin and wreck the things that it does. Again, that's just the the good news of the gospel. But God has so much more to teach us in his word than just that. Again, that's, that's a huge part of it. That's primary, but there's more in God's word for us to learn from and more in God's word for us to, to apply especially as we think about what we're supposed to do while we wait for our Savior to return, while we are waiting for Jesus to to come back and to take those who belong to him to be with him. What are we doing while we wait? And the Bible teaches us so many things. This morning, as we start to talk about forgiveness, I want you to know that, that God, through his word, teaches us that sin, although paid for, it's still a problem. Sin, although it's paid for, is still a problem. We're still sinful, even as Christians. Even if we've put our faith and trust in Christ, you know what? We still think things that we shouldn't. 
Even though we believe that Christ has saved us from our sin and that, that we'll be with him, we still do things that we shouldn't do. We still say things that we shouldn't say. We still sin. Sin is still a problem. And all of that creates a huge problem, not only for ourselves, but with everyone around us. Sin still causes problems in our relationships. It hurts our friendships. It hurts our family members. It, it, it messes up those relationships that we wish it wouldn't. Sin is the source of hurt feelings. It's the source of broken-hearted moments. Sin is the source of those emotions that can quickly sort of spiral out of control. Our offended hearts lead us on a really dangerous road. They lead us to a place where we can convince ourselves what someone said or what someone did. I'll never forgive them. We can be convinced that what happened to us was so over the line that we'll never forgive. It bothers us. It offends us. What happened is something that shouldn't have happened because I'm mad and I'm angry and I'm bitter. I don't want to see that person. I don't want to talk to that person ever again. As far as I'm concerned, that person doesn't even exist. I'll go out of my way to just eliminate them from my life. What they did was unforgivable. Sin can lead to a spirit that says, I will never forgive you. Is it okay to not forgive? What are we supposed to do with those relationships where sin messes it up? What, how do we think about it? What does God's word have to say about forgiveness? Well, God wants us to know that it's impossible to avoid strife and fighting and disagreements and that we should be expecting at some point to have these situations sort of find their way into our lives again. We shouldn't be caught off guard when this happens. Even as believers, sin is still around. You're going to be in a situation where you hurt someone's feelings. You're going to be in a situation because of sin, you're going to say something sinful or leave an impression on someone else that what you did is unforgivable. And if not you, we also should expect that we might be the recipient of that. We can't avoid it forever. We can't avoid it in this life. Someone will hurt our feelings. Someone will say something sinful. Someone will leave an impression on you that what they did is unforgivable. And this is our problem. Especially as we think about God's word and what he tells us, and what he instructs us about forgiveness. So many passages we could look at, but maybe the one that's the most appropriate or the most simple, Ephesians 4, 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. And you may wonder, you know, how many times am I going to have to do that? 
We read it this morning in our call to worship. Peter had the same question. You're in good company. He asked Jesus the very same thing. Lord, how many times do I have to forgive my brother who sins against me? And Peter was actually trying to flex a little bit. He was trying to show off to Jesus. And he said, is it like seven times? And that's even that's kind of a ridiculous statement. And Jesus says, no, 77 times or 70 times, seven times. Both are so much above and beyond what Peter even said. The whole point and what Jesus is saying there in Matthew 18 is that there's to be no limit on our forgiveness. As a Christian, there's to be no limit, no cap on our forgiveness. We, we know this. We understand this. We see this in so many places in Scripture. God's Word teaches us that Christians are supposed to forgive. Even if someone doesn't ask for forgiveness, and that's not the point of our text this morning, but it's worth saying, even if someone doesn't ask, we're to forgive them. We're to have a spirit of forgiveness. So what do we do when someone does ask for forgiveness? What do we do when someone does sin against us and they ask us to forgive them? What are we supposed to do? What does that look like? Well, our text this morning in Philemon can answer that question. It's a really helpful and it's incredible insight into what forgiveness looks like. What are we supposed to do? The big idea would be that God's word teaches us what Forgiveness looks like, if you want to jot that down, that's a good place to start. Hope you're already feeling this, but let me just say it again. Without Christ, it's incredibly difficult, and I would even say impossible, for forgiveness to truly exist. Without Christ, it's just forgiveness is so much harder. If you don't have Christ in your life, Young people, I I would tell you that you're going to live in a world without forgiveness. I think you'll rarely show it. I think it's fair to say you'll rarely be the recipient of forgiveness. How Christ helps us with forgiveness, it's so important. When relationships go wrong, I think without Christ, we can all relate to this. We can understand this. We've seen it. We've We've maybe even been in, involved in a situation where we understand that people respond with, with anger, they're mad, and that grows to bitterness and resentment, grows to even to just like a, a hateful, even sort of a murderous kind of response. That's the spirit of someone who's unwilling to forgive. Doesn't sound like a lot of fun to me. You may know someone like that. That person may even be you. So again, what insight does God's word have for us? These difficult situations truly are unavoidable. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to respond when someone asks for forgiveness? I actually want to go back and start in verse 1 of Philemon, and we'll read all the way down through verse 18. Letter of Paul to Philemon. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that's in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what's required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Verse 11, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I'll repay, I'll repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. As we read that, I know you might be thinking, <laughs> Pastor Jay's lost his mind a little bit. This isn't about forgiveness. Where in this letter does Paul talk about forgiveness? He doesn't mention it. He doesn't say to forgive. He doesn't instruct Philemon on some other passage that mentions forgiveness. No appeal to the Old Testament, no principle mentioned, no quote from Jesus or anything he taught. Paul only says, I appeal to love. He only speaks about love. Have to remember that this is a letter. Uh, Paul knows Philemon quite well. This is a letter written from a man who led someone to the Lord, who's very familiar with Philemon, who's heard a good report about Philemon and his faith and his love. He knows this man enough to know that he doesn't need to quote a verse. He knows him well enough to know that he doesn't have to mention a passage. He doesn't have to remind Philemon of what God teaches about forgiveness. He only has to appeal to love. What did we learn about Philemon last week? We, we learned so much about his character, the gospel on display in Philemon's life, right? His faith and his love, those were the compliments that he received from Paul. This man is 
He's a godly man, and Philemon understands what Christ taught on forgiveness, of course, because he knew he was forgiven. Philemon understands that as one who's embraced the gospel, and that faith, it changed Philemon. It changed the way that he demonstrated his faith in Christ. It changed the way that, you know, that he loved God, but also in the way that he loved others. His godly character, it's, it's known by everyone around him, and it's that godliness that will motivate Philemon to continue to do what's right. Paul simply has to appeal to love. He only has to stir that up in Philemon's mind again. Love that reminds him of the love that God had shown him in the gospel and the love that God had called him to show to other people. Let me try to catch you up if you haven't been with us in this short little letter. We almost were able to read the whole thing just there, but Philemon is, well, he's a a somewhat wealthy man. He hosts uh, a church in his house. That's the church at Colossae. That's the book of Colossians, the letter that's written to those people. They meet in Philemon's house. And Philemon is wealthy and he has a slave. A lot of the people in that church that met in his house were either slaves themselves or they were people who had slaves. This issue of slavery and what's going on here in this church, we're just to understand that this is something that's a part of their culture. And Onesimus was actually Philemon's slave. And based on even what's being talked about in this letter, we can know that Onesimus has done something bad. He's committed a crime. Onesimus ran away from Philemon, his master, and on his way, he stole something. And it's interesting as we think about Onesimus's life and how in his flight, he bumped into Paul. (laughs) I'm sure he thought that was by accident, but we know that's not an accident. That's divine appointment. Onesimus runs into the, the one man who can explain the gospel to him and can lead him to salvation, which is precisely what happens. He hears the gospel and Paul leads him to Christ, just like he did for Philemon. So Paul's in Rome in prison and Onesimus is there and Epaphras is there. That's the man who was leading that church in Colossae. He had come because of the danger of of false teachers attacking their church. They're both there. And Paul wants to address that church. And so he writes a letter. It's the letter that we have in our Bible called Colossians. And he sends that back to this church with a man named Tychicus. Funny name, but it's just what his parents call him. Tychicus. And as Onesimus is there and has been there with Paul, he also writes a letter to Philemon. And he gives that letter to Onesimus to hand to his former master. And that's the letter that we read. That's the letter that we're looking at this morning. And we've already looked at part of this letter. And now we come to verse 8. And we see that word accordingly or therefore. It's an important word because of who Philemon is, what we looked at last week, all of that shapes what he'll do next. All of that influences what Paul will say, and it influences what Philemon is supposed to do. 
because of Philemon's faith and his love, his character, his, his godliness, all of that which has been such an encouragement to Paul, a refreshing thought for Paul, who Philemon is, because of that, Paul can now say what he'll say here in verse 8. He says, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what's required, yet for love's sake I appeal to you. What is this? I mean, Paul is simply saying, you know, Philemon, look, I I could just order you to do this. I have the right to do that. I'm Paul, the Apostle Paul, like the Ohio State. (laughs) He's, He's the Apostle Paul. Paul sort of received that authority from Christ on the Damascus Road. Apostles were identified to help the early church know who to listen to, know who to trust, know who to submit to. It's it's important. Paul says, this would have been right. It would have been proper for me to do this. But yet for love's sake, let me appeal to you instead. So God's word commands us as Christians to forgive. It's not optional. It's not up to us to decide when we'll forgive and when we won't. It's not up to us to decide whom we'll forgive and whom we won't. We're called to forgive. Matthew 5, another really helpful text. Jesus teaches that it isn't just murder that's sinful, but he unpacks the attitude, the heart attitudes that lead to that. Anger and resentment and bitterness and a a spirit that says, I'm not going to forgive you. Jesus lumps all that together with murder, says, no, this is the heart that we're talking about. This is what's sinful. This is the problem. So we're to forgive. We're to forgive just as we've been forgiven. But Philemon is not new to the faith. He's not an immature believer. We've established that from last week. He's someone who knows how to live like a Christian. He's someone who's Faith is commendable and whose love is visible. He is a mature believer and a man like that only needs to be reminded of love. He doesn't need that command forced upon him. He he doesn't need that at all. Paul doesn't need to flash his apostle badge, right? He doesn't need to spiritually flex on him. He just needs to remind him of love and the love that saved him. Paul wants to just kind of stir that up in Philemon again. Don't forget. Let me just appeal to love. The love of God that saved you, Philemon. The love of God that you've been living in and the love of God that you've been demonstrating as you've loved other people. Everybody around him knows of that of that love. And, and this is where forgiveness begins, a reminder of love. This is what God wants us to know about forgiveness. We, we have to recall to our minds the love that we've been shown. If you're a Christian, somebody asks for your forgiveness, you need to first think of the love that you've been shown and, and called to show. So again, number one, forgiveness begins with God's love. Paul reminds Philemon that he's an old man and old man currently in chains. He doesn't really need to say this, but he reminds Philemon of reality. I think he is, I really believe that, he is trying to 
gain some sympathy from Philemon to respond in love. I know you love me. I'm an old man. I'm in chains. I'm the one that's led you to the, to the gospel. Could you just love me enough to, to love this man who's coming back to you? I don't want to order you. I just want to appeal to your love. In verse 10, here's the appeal. I need to appeal for my child, Onesimus. Uh, what does Paul want? He wants Philemon to forgive him. He appeals to love. He appeals for Onesimus to be loved, to be forgiven. This had to be asked for because Onesimus had gotten himself into trouble, as we've already talked about. He had done something that was really actually dangerous should he be caught. The punishments for runaway slaves were severe. Not just prison, although potentially, but so many other times it resulted in in death. There were huge consequences to face for runaway slaves. Lots of laws, lots of rules, but we can understand there was enough tension where Paul had to ask for love between these two to trump the situation. There was enough, however you want to describe it, enough, man, why did you leave? You cost me, you hurt me. Why did you do that? Financial problems, relationship problems. There's enough there where Paul says, look, I know there's, I know there's one way this is supposed to go, but let me ask for love to just sort of trump and triumph over this whole situation. And in Paul's request, we, we have the best biblical illustration of forgiveness. It begins with love. Because God's love is so much greater than sin, his love big enough to pay for, for all of our sin, we need to hold on to that. We need to be reminded of what we've been forgiven, the love that we've been shown in the gospel, the love that, that, that our Savior and our Master asks us to show others, especially those that belong to him. Forgiveness isn't optional. It begins with God's love, but there's more. Let's look at verse 10. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. So forgiveness begins with love. Number two, forgiveness leads to welcoming that person back. It must include acceptance. We have to welcome that person back. If you're going to forgive, that person needs to be back in your life. Philemon can accept Onesimus back because of what Paul's saying. Onesimus has become a Christian, a believer. He's a believer who became valuable to Paul somehow, useful to Paul, loved by Paul. He's a new creation in Christ. This man has a whole new purpose, a whole new heart, a whole new life. Honestly, the proof is that he's standing in front of Philemon. He's willing to risk the penalty, he's willing to risk his life to do what he thinks is right, to do what he believes the gospel through Christ would ask him to do, to make it right, to show love to his former master. There's something more important, though, about these two now. They're now 
brothers in Christ. They're not just a, a, a slave owner and a slave, a master and a slave. They're now brothers in Christ of the same family, both beloved, both saved, both in God's kingdom and family. What's the most important thing about him? So the gospel, I just want you to know that it, it's, it, should, it should and it can trump our hurt feelings. It can, it can outweigh and it can easily squash those, that heart that says, I'm mad and angry and bitter and I don't like that person anymore and I'm not going to forgive that person. The gospel allows forgiveness to be possible in an otherwise impossible situation. How is that that Philemon can begin to express forgiveness? Well, he can begin by just accepting Onesimus back. He can welcome him back. Our pastor says this, when the offending person seeks to be forgiven, the first thing you do in the act of forgiveness is to receive that person. It's a willingness to close the gap. It's a willing heart to cross the the chasm, the separation, a, a willingness for that wound to be healed. You bring that person back into relationship, and that's Onesimus, and he, he qualifies for that. Here he is, willing to accept what comes, maybe prison, probably death, but willing to risk those for, for restoration with Philemon. He wants to make things right. He wants to restore what wrong he's done because of who he is in Christ. Onesimus' name, it's a little play on words here in verse 11, his name actually means useful. That's what Onesimus means, useful. Potentially a nickname. Maybe that's how they sort of labeled slaves, those that were useful or useless. It's an interesting way to think about it. But here it is in verse 11. He was useful, then he became useless. Now he's useful once more. God had saved him and changed him. He's useful in ministry. He became useless when he stole When he ran away, when he made Philemon's life significantly more difficult. But now as a believer, he's useful again. Philemon's to remember the love of God he's been shown and he's called to show. And as the offended one here in this situation, the one who has every right to be mad and angry and hurt and potentially unforgiving, he's called to forgive, to welcome him back, this one who's wronged him, he's to to accept him back into his life. So Paul wants Philemon to welcome this one back because he's useful again because of who he is in Christ. He'd become useful. That's what Paul says in verse 12. Calls him his very heart. He'd become useful for Paul. Paul didn't want to lose him. He wanted to keep him. That's what all this is about. He's valuable. And, and really even more, he'd become loved by Paul. Paul saying, I love this guy. I really wanted to keep him. He's so helpful for me and useful to me. It's incredible. And he even kind of reminds me of you, Philemon. That's what's, that's what's here. You see that in verse 13. I know that he would be here serving me on your behalf because he's your slave, but also because he's loving like you are. Paul's basically saying, I know you enough to know that you would want him to stay if you knew how he encouraged me. If you knew how valuable he was to me in ministry, I know you would say, just stay, just keep him. Let him stay there. 
Paul doesn't want to presume on Philemon. He doesn't want it to be a situation like, you know, I did it because I knew you'd be okay with it. No, he wants Philemon to have that freedom to make this choice. I think that's important because Philemon's the one whom Onesimus needs to make things right with. And Philemon needs to be the one to forgive Onesimus and the one to make the choice to allow him to stay or go either way. Theirs is the relationship that needs forgiveness. So Onesimus needs to be accepted back. He needs to be welcomed back. Number three, forgiveness recognizes a person's value for the Lord. It recognizes how God might use that person in your life. Difficult for us to think about in those moments where we're hurt, where we're angry, but it's helpful to recognize that God might use this person mightily again in my life. Paul wants Philemon to consider what God has done. It's true. Onesimus has sinned against you. He cost you. He offended you. He hurt you. He broke your trust. But God used that to lead him to the gospel. And it, God used that to lead him to be very useful and effective again in ministry. And now it's possible that he can be useful for you again and for a long time. Don't just dismiss this man based on what you think or what you see, who knows what God is up to. He's so much more valuable now because he's a brother in Christ. That's God's purpose. Let him return to you as he was. Let him serve you as your slave. But don't forget now he's more than that. He's a brother in Christ. He's a fellow believer and so much more valuable. How this man might influence your life. Verse 16, no longer a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. Especially to me, Paul writes, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul's saying this man that's standing before you, welcome him back, accept him. He wants Philemon to do that, but not just as a slave, now as a brother. Accept him back as a Christian who can serve you physically, that's true, but who can benefit you spiritually. Forgiveness, what do we do? What does it look like? We should want to welcome someone back and accept them. We want to see them restored to useful ministry once again. The Lord has a purpose for them, and we need to recognize God's purpose for them in our life. How God might have a a plan for this person to serve you, to minister to you, just like in the church. They have a gift that I need, and I have a spiritual gift that they need, and that's part of God's plan for both of us. And who are we to just dismiss that? And you may be thinking, all that's great, but what about the wrong that they did? What about what they owe me? What about the pain? Who pays for that? Well, quickly, Paul says in verse 17, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you'd receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. So forgiveness begins with God's love. Forgiveness is acceptance. It's recognizing the purpose the Lord has for their life and your life. But number four, it's remembering that sin has been paid for. It's remembering that sin has been paid for. 
Paul asks Philemon to do something that reminds us of what Christ has done. Receive him like he'd receive me. Whatever he's done, accept him back as if it were me. Forgive him as if it were me. But listen, I'll pay for what he owes you. Onesimus is willing to repay this debt, but you know what? He doesn't have a penny to his name. He can't repay it. I don't think he can ever repay it even with his whole life. So there are consequences to sin always. The one asking forgiveness must be willing to do whatever it takes to make it right. But here's the thing that's so helpful. All of us are just like Onesimus with God. We all stand in such a similar place. I'd love to repay this debt, Lord, but you know what? I don't have enough money. I don't have enough good works. In fact, I'm not even close. And there's nothing I could do to ever be close. Can't make it right. We don't have anything to offer God. We need someone to pay our debt Like Paul is willing to pay the debt of Onesimus, Jesus paid our debt. He paid our sin's debt. And just like the one who wrongs us, they may be willing to pay for it, but the truth is Jesus has already paid for their sin if they're a believer. That's so important, you guys. We may think, you know what? No, this person wronged me. They owe me. I want it to be right. We're so foolish, Jesus, if they're a Christian, Jesus has already paid for their sin. That sin's already been made right. It's already been paid for. And Paul's just doing what he learned from Jesus. Jesus paid the debt that he couldn't pay. And so he offers Philemon what Jesus did for all of them. Let me pay his debt. Let me pay what he can't. Let me remind you that it's already been paid for. Forgiveness is possible. But I'll say where we started, it's, it's only possible with the gospel. It's only possible with Christ. And, and we learn honestly from this little letter and we learn from our Savior's example what forgiveness looks like. It begins with a reminder of the love that God has shown us quickly moves to being willing to just heal this broken relationship with this person, accept them back into my life. I need to be so willing to forgive the debts, knowing that Jesus has paid for their sin. And and we do that as we recognize the debt that we've been forgiven. Junior hires, I know you well enough to know that many of you are already in situations like this. I know you well enough to know that many of you are struggling with how to forgive somebody. What does this look like? And way more valuable than just my opinion or some opinion of of a leader who cares for you. We have God's word to help us understand precisely how we can forgive and what forgiveness looks like. This is how to do it. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that instructs us. We Thank you for your word that guides us and teaches us. Lord, I pray that you would help us first to see our need for you in our life, our need for you to change our heart and to give us a heart that that beats for you so that we can not only be saved, we can not only be made right with you, but we can begin to live right with others. 
how without your gospel, we just can't do that. I pray for these young people who I'm sure deal with the effects of sin in their relationships with other people. And I pray that a text like this would help us, would help all of us to think rightly about how much we've been forgiven and how much we should be willing to forgive others. Lord, that principle is right. Our, our forgiveness should have no max, no cap. Lord, help us to be those who love you, who love others, and who are quick to forgive. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.